Seinfeld, the switch is over, but we are just getting started here on the Seinfeld post-show recap. And now, here are the two guys who are most certainly not orgy guys. I'm Rob Sestrino. Here's Akiva Winnicker. Akiva, how are you? I thought you were going to say we're both in the glitterati. In the glitter, I, you know, I did have that in all caps, but I wasn't sure if that was as memorable of a line. Well, I mean, I didn't know, like, you know, you're just assuming. Yeah, yeah we're not. We're, we're one some guys. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Not even to some. Uh, so, Akiva, how are you doing this week? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm, uh, I'm excited. I feel like we're in a very strong stretch of episodes yes. leading up to episode number 100. So I'm, I'm very excited that we're really, you know, we've been talking a lot about peak Seinfeld, but I feel like this is really one of the stronger periods of the, of the series. Yes. And I feel like that this is a very underrated, very strong episode. And I'm very excited to talk about this. I was mostly smiling ear to ear during the entire rewatch of the switch. Yeah, I agree. Not like the most crazy laughs similar to last week, but very few weak spots. A lot of like really solid, funny things that are like, oh, yeah, that's in this episode that are that are really good. Yeah. So really fun stuff. Plot wise, everything is pretty much has its place in the story. So it all like works together like clockwork. So very fun episode to talk about here today. Excited to uh, get into this uh, with you. Of course, uh, we'll get into your emails and all that stuff as we roll along here on the 97th episode of Seinfeld. Is that correct? Uh, Yeah. Episode 97. Boom. Look at us. We're almost there. (laughs) We're almost there. Okay, Akiva, you mentioned peak Seinfeld and uh, our good friend Sean Falconer is at it again because we had mentioned originally probably about like two months ago that we were looking for all the different questions that we had come up with for Jerry in our 90 some odd episode rewatch of Seinfeld to that point. And we said that, oh, we need somebody to go back and listen to all the podcasts. Sean developed some sort of algorithm which went through and was able to determine what we were saying and then gave him a readout of all the different questions we had for Jerry. Now, recently, I wondered, as we go through Seinfeld history, when do we reach the high water point for Seinfeld? Where do we get to the point where we can say, oh, this stretch of episodes, this was the best run or this was the absolute peak. And at this point, then it was all downhill from this point on. And we talked about how could we possibly figure that out? And that's where our friend Sean Falconer stepped in once again. Akiva, you are a great researcher and stats nut. Can you explain what he tried to do? Yeah, so he basically, I mean, I don't, the, the math stuff, maybe some of it is beyond me, but what he basically um, took a lot of episode rankings, most of which are garbage, but a lot of episode rankings. Um, you know, people who, like me, ranked all 180 or 169 episodes of the show and sort of figured out uh, basically, like what the top episodes are, he he calculated uh, most appearances in top ten lists and most appearances on the bottom end of things, and sort of u- using that was able to figure out when Seinfeld actually peaked. Okay, so what were some of his takeaways in terms of where Seinfeld peaks? Well, so it was it, there was a lot of um, a lot of different. He said that there was fifty four episodes that made the top ten list. Uh, the contest made the most, and uh, but his his ultimate takeaway was that Peak Seinfeld is season five, followed closely by season seven. The, the uh, one thing that we were talking about when we were initially discussed this a few weeks ago was like a peaking and, and jumping the shark, which I guess are really two different things because I don't think the show ever jumped the shark, and I certainly don't think it jumped the shark. You know, if it did, you could say like the Puerto Rico Day Parade episode, and, and, you know, which is the, the episode before the finale, I guess. But mm-hmm. I, there isn't really... I mean, if you really wanted to nitpick, you could, some of the season nine episodes are 
rely a little bit on, uh, you know, things outside the realm of reality more than the first eight seasons. But right. uh, it never really jumps the shark. But if you're just viewing it as like, what are the, you know, what is the absolute apex? Then according to the critics, not it's not our opinion, but according to uh, Sean's calculation, that would be season five. Okay. Now, I think that in, just in the terms that we're talking about this, just to put it into context, because I know people are going to get defensive if we're talking about Seinfeld, like jumping the shark. But I think that Seinfeld, if we sort of look at it like the career of an athlete, a you know nine year career of an athlete, and it's a show where you see many, many athletes stick around, go on one year contracts, go on other teams and stuff like that. You know, I think Seinfeld is probably like Megatron, where it has this, uh, you know, amazing eight, nine year career and then goes out at a point where it's performing at a incredibly high level. And that's what we're sort of looking at. But but you would say that, well, the best year in Calvin Johnson's career was actually three seasons ago or, or at, you know, whatever point. It doesn't mean that he ever got to a point where he was a really bad player. Uh, that's true. Yeah, it definitely never gets to a point where it's bad or even not really good. I'm trying to think in that analogy who Jim Caldwell is, and I can't figure that one out. <laughs> like Don't worry Pitt. about that. Don't worry um, about that. But uh, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I agree. And you will see when we get to, you know, season eight, which is great, and, and, and season nine, which is really good, that uh, it, it really never does that. But, but it, you know, I, I, Sean's research is really, uh, he's really up to a level. I think, uh, I don't even know what we could have him do next, but yeah. I, I don't appreciate when he cheats on us with other podcasts, but I guess if he's, pumping out all this good work still okay. okay all right thank you again sean I do appreciate uh all of the work can't wait to see what you come up with next uh it's got to be like some sort of nobel prize uh, in the offing for sean falconer at some point i would imagine no podcast has ever won a nobel prize <laughs> but do, are we in do we at least get to go to the ceremony if he wins for the nobel prize yeah i guess if he invites us it's really yeah his call. i feel like we'll be his guests who else does it? i mean for sure it's gonna be we're gonna be I think you get like a whole entourage if you're in, if you win the Nobel Prize. Yeah. Okay. So Akiva, you got any good Seinfeld social media or tweets? Uh, yeah, I'll give you one. Uh, Jay Mandiam uh, tweeted, uh, Tom Gamble and Max Pross right for Fuller House. In this episode, <laughs> Kimmy Gibbler buys a car that once belonged to John Voigt. He's been uh, tweets about Seinfeld. <laughs> okay. Those guys don't actually write for Fuller House, right? No, this no, is no, a I, I think like, 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 a, like, like a, a meme. Seinfeld yeah. 2000 type like joking thing or whatever. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. All right. Akiva, you ready to talk about the switch? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Uh, the switch, uh, this is from January 5th, 1995. First Seinfeld episode of 1995 and written by Kirschbaum and Cass. Yeah. Cass also had a hand in last week's episode. Then I think he basically never does anything again. Yeah. 1995 we're up to. So we're on the back nine of hammer time. I feel like, uh, these episodes get to feel a tiny bit more modern as we go on. All right. So, we end up with Jerry talking about the uniform for tennis. Akiba, did this uh, bit of tennis uniform stand-up land for you? You're saying that like it didn't for you, but I actually, and I'm, I'm very critical of, of the opening stand-up always, but I, I actually think it's not like a laugh-out-loud joke to tie it into this episode, but it is a that's-funny joke because the idea that, like, the, the stupid, you know, the joke, like, why do they keep score, like, 15 nothing, 30 love? you know, 40 love and, and game and, and tennis has been done a million times. But I like the idea that he sort of like solves the old joke with his bit, mm -hmm. you know, saying that they wore a lot of clothes and that's why they just speed up in 15s and 10s to because they want to be done. I, I feel like that's a smart joke. It's not hilarious, but I like it. 
Okay, so we go to the tennis club. Uh, this is not going to be the episode with Milos at the tennis club, but it is uh, the first of a couple of Seinfeld tennis stories that we see. And Elaine is going to, I want to make sure I have this right. She's picking up Mr. Pitt's racket. Yes. So she's picking up the racket and uh, we end up seeing a woman from Doubleday. Now, this was the woman who Elaine interviewed with in the season premiere, I believe, where she was talking with her about Jackie Onassis and Jackie Onassis had a lot of grace, but she was talking about grace, 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 grace. And Elaine, I apparently did not have any grace. No. And this is the most one of the most subtle callbacks of the whole series here. Yes. You have this character that nobody remembers who had one point that no one remembers. And she's going to come here and make the same point again. And so she was watching Elaine play tennis. And then uh, she said to Elaine, you exhibited a lot of grace out there. It's hard to be a graceful tennis player. But I, I think that Roger Federer, I don't know if you're a big tennis guy. Everyone always says he's like grace. You know, he plays with grace. He's classy. On the court, he barely breaks a sweat even when he's winning Wimbledon. Wow. All right. So do you buy that Elaine is a graceful tennis player considering that she's not a graceful dancer? She does not seem to be a tennis player. Are you buying that Landis as a professional or somebody who is a huge tennis player could have watched amateur Elaine and come away saying, wow, what grace? No, I just think her scale in life is grace or no grace. So maybe (laughs) she's just above average grace on the tennis court. But right. I, I think we see Elaine play tennis and I don't think it's uh, it, it's really graceful. So. <laughs> you know, I'm sure for Landis, if we really think about it, like Landis, like if her life revolves around tennis, she met Elaine. She thought Elaine is like a loser. She's not interested. But then as soon as she finds out, what she plays tennis too. Oh, OK. Well, I, I like her more than, you know, 98 percent of the other people that I know. I like her more than all the other people who don't play tennis. She moves right to the top of the pack. Yeah, I mean, I I think maybe there's like a secret tennis club. I mean, I have the same way. Like I, I have like a bond. I love tennis, so I have like a bond with people who play tennis. Yeah, probably the same sort of thing with golf, where you have somebody who interviews at a company and like nobody might golf there, but then somebody comes in who's a golfer, and so that's probably pretty rare, right? Yeah, or or just like uh, if you're a podcaster, I'm sure if you just met a podcaster on the street, I'm sure you could talk shop with them. Yeah, it depends. Could go either way. Could go either way, and so. We see that she's picking up the racket, uh, Mr. Pitt's brew line racket. Is that a real racket, Akiva? No, no, it's not a real racket company. Okay. And we find out that Newman has the same one. Uh, Jerry interjects that. More on that to come. And so Landis wants to know if she can try out Mr. Pitt's racket because she has a job that maybe might be right for Elaine at Doubleday. And so she is going to Elaine uh, just as a way to suck up the land to say, sure, take Mr. Pitt's racket. I could come by your office tomorrow and go pick it up. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, lending other people's stuff out never, never works out well. Like I in the, neighbor, in the neighborhood here, I um, borrowed a book from a guy. Yeah. And I meant to give it back the next day. And then like I hadn't given it back to him. And then it was like so long I gave it back to him that I didn't want to give it back anymore. Like under like not normal circumstances because it was awkward so i would just avoid him i would like cross the street if i saw him coming yeah and then like i was like i listening to him and i was gonna give it back it wasn't like i was stealing his book it just like got awkward and i didn't want to deal with it and then i i like i sort of saw him from a long distance i I think yesterday Mm -hmm. and i put my headphones in and then he like he tapped me and i was figured like okay he's just saying hi but then he like made me take my headphones off so Mm -hmm. long story short he's got his book back (laughs) yeah all right uh, Akiva, we're going to meet Jerry's new girlfriend in this episode, uh, Sandy. Uh, Sandy is not super interesting. 
Uh, she really is going just to be a means to an end to get to the story with the roommate who Jerry is going to find much more interesting. Uh, Sandy does not laugh at anything Jerry says. No, and we're right. We don't see a lot of Sandy or even Laura, the, uh, the, the roommate he wants to switch to. But yeah, her, her thing that it's funny that like half the people, you know, the sort of the one episode guest stars notes are laugh related. But yeah, her, her thing is it's not a, it's not a loud laugh or, or the worst laugh. It's it's just no laugh. Okay, we see George and Kramer out on the street, and uh, Kramer, I believe, is eating a hundred grand. Is that what he is he eating? Oh, I didn't even notice. Yeah, possible. I'm not sure. It could have been an O. Henry, but I'm not sure if they're uh, you know really this is uh, foreshadowing for uh, Sue Ellen Mishki. Oh yeah, I'm gonna have to take a close, closer look. Okay, we'll take a closer look. All chocolate is just the same disgusting thing That's for you. True. It's true. I don't I don't differentiate. I don't see color when it comes to chocolate. <laughs> Okay, so George is dating a model. Really no backstory as to how George started dating this model. I mean, we're going to have upcoming episodes where George is dating a model. And then that's sort of like that opens up the door for him to go and date other models. But here, that's almost not that big of a deal. He's just dating this woman. She's modeling in the newspaper. He shows the picture of her to Kramer. Kramer says, oh, you're one of the glitterati now. And um, she has such an appetite. That's what we learned about this woman. Yeah, I mean, I will talk about it like as we go on, but I feel like this would be dealt with differently now at the days. Sure. But just in taking what's here on the screen here in 1995, how did George meet this woman? Okay, it's a good question. First of all, she has a British accent that's like never really acknowledged, right? Mm -hmm. Like she doesn't do a good American accent. I didn't notice it until the very last part where George barges into the bathroom. Like she forgets to do the American accent once, mm-hmm. uh, but she is a British actress. Her Wikipedia mentions um, Roman Polanski. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, but um, I don't know much. I don't, you know, I don't know much about her. But yeah, she's British, and she she has like this weirdly, you know, hard to decipher voice when you know during the episode. But at the end, uh, yeah. So how does he find this model? I guess if you're, a, you know, you work for the Yankees, you could claim to be Yankee executive. Probably just in a bar. I don't know. It's a good question. We, we really find out nothing. At this point, George is of a status where he could just pick up models off the street. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. So he's pretty smitten with her. It's amazing. And he's bragging about her appetite. She eats, uh, you know, so much. And Kramer first introduces the idea of maybe she's bulimic. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Like, what a stab from Kramer. Kramer also is the guy who, like, well, especially when he doesn't have a lot to do in an episode, They'll just give him like, why don't you hit a home run by guessing something and being completely right? But yeah, it's a good call. Well, I think it's also an interesting topic of discussion if George's girlfriend actually was guilty of what George is accusing her of here in this episode. Which we don't know. You know, it's it's possible she is. It's possible she just has a fast metabolism, right? We don't we're not sure. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to the last scene and how we're supposed to uh, read that or interpret it, uh, whether or not she is actually uh, somebody who is bulimic. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, no, no. I feel, yeah, it, it, what, really one of the, the smartest, best parts of the episode is like George is like violently upset about this and it's almost like upsetting. And then you realize it's just because he's cheap and you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> right. He's not concerned about her well-being. It's really just because he says, uh, I'm paying for those meals. <laughs> the least yeah. she could do is digest them. Because <laughs> you're thinking like, why does he care so much? But then it makes sense. Yeah. 
All right. So we find out that she does always seem to go to the bathroom right after she eats. We never get another plausible theory as to why she has to go to the bathroom right after she eats, other than maybe that's just something that she does or she has to go, you know, powder her nose as she offers to him. We really just don't know one way or the other. Uh, no, no. Listen, there are a lot of mysteries, as we saw last week. You know, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, she throws up in Hawaii. We're not sure. <laughs> so we also uh, had an odd exchange between George and Kramer here. So George says, you know, I did notice that she goes to the bathroom right after we finish eating. And Kramer says, there you go, monkey boy. <laughs> yeah, Kramer's had a lot of weird nicknames in season six. <laughs> All right. So we now go to uh, Nina and George and they're at the restaurant and we see Nina just inhaling a plate of spaghetti. Now, the irony of this is that we have seen George eat a plate of spaghetti the exact same way on not one, but two separate occasions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, and he's not grossed out by it. He's just concerned with uh, what's happening afterwards. But isn't it possible this is his soulmate considering that we saw him, we've seen him like this has been a plot point in other episodes about how George is just completely like it's I don't know if it's a canon plot point because it seems to be dropped after the two times that it happened on the show. But we've seen George like doing the exact same thing and people be grossed out about it. Uh, yeah, but, you know, maybe he what maybe he blew it. Maybe this was his soulmate. Yeah. It's very possible. All right. So now we see Jerry at the restaurant with Sandy. He's talking about how they went to go to the movies and they saw Frankenstein. I don't know really where you would go see Frankenstein unless that there is like I think one of those. someone in the email says it was Mary Shelley's Frankenstein had just come out. Oh, OK. And so uh, Jerry says he likes how Frankenstein uh, wears a jacket. And then Sandy's basically just like nodding like, oh, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah, he's doing a bit and she's not buying it. Yeah. She doesn't laugh. She just says that it's funny, which is uh, not buying it. He's not buying that. I mean, is it? Yeah. It, like, you're a comedian. You should get, you know, he, should, he shouldn't be so sensitive about people not laughing at his jokes. <laughs> oh, see, I think that would make him more sensitive. Oh, I'm sure it would. But, uh, you know, I don't know why. I don't know, like, uh, you know, it should be. He should view it as like, this is a, the toughest nut to crack in the world. And I, I have to, like, I, as a comedian... This is like my ultimate job here to make her laugh. Yeah, but isn't that the same exact plot point as the guy that was in the hospital that, you know, they said, oh, you know, they say laughter is the best medicine. He could really use a laugh. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, it would have been too similar to that because they never do similar plot lines. (laughs) All right. So we see George and Nina back at the restaurant and she is uh, really happy. She's full. And George says, isn't it the best thing just to, you know, take your belt off and just uh, let those enzymes do their work? And she's trying to get up and George is insisting, no, stay, stay, stay. Uh, You're very fresh. And he's like grabbing her arm and won't let her go to the bathroom. Very aggressively. (laughs) Aggressively. Right. I don't know what happened in the 90s, but you were allowed to be extremely physical with your female friend. (laughs) Back at Jerry's apartment. Uh, we are seeing Jerry explaining to Elaine this whole thing about how she's not laughing. This is uh, this is terrible. He can't take it. Uh, yeah, I mean, but I also like I'll say that's funny a lot. I don't know if uh, certain people just can't laugh. It's hard to you know, it's funny. Also, they say that comedians will never laugh and that if you get it, like if you're in a writer's room, like when we're, you know, when we're pitching one of our uh, after we've successfully sold the pilot mm-hmm. and we're in the writer's room. And so, like, if you if you pitch a good joke, the best you're going to hope for is people saying that's funny because they're never you're never going to get a, you know, a a group of comedy writers or a comedian to laugh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Unless they're trying to, you know, help out their friend. So maybe she's like above. Maybe she's so above that that, uh, you know, she's. uh, 
Well, we don't really hear what her job is. I don't believe that she's like a writer on Saturday Night Live. Right? No, she's not in the comedy world. That's for sure. She's All right. Not. So Elaine is on the trail of Landis and getting this racket back. So she calls into the office. Uh, Miss Landis isn't there. She hurt her arm playing tennis. Yeah. And, you know, it. she didn't break the racket. Because sometimes like if, if I don't know, when you play tennis, like if something bad happens, you take it out on the racket. Oh, even if you get I hurt? might have just like smashed that racket and, yeah. you know, that would have been it. Do you think that Landis in some way felt like she got hurt because the racket was faulty? It's sort of what you're going to you think watching the episode the first time, but that never it's never really fully connected because she's not there a lot of the time also. So, right. It's she doesn't blame the racket in a deleted scene. She says she beat her brother and she's like on seventh heaven that she um that she finally beat her brother at tennis. Mm-hmm. And she said, it's all the racket. This racket makes everything easy. So she definitely is an anti-racket if that's canon. Right. And if she was anti-racket, she's like, get this thing out of my sight. I don't even want it here. This is the, this, you, this see what this racket did to me. Yeah, no, she's not anti-racket. Right. She just has a bigger problems with her hand. Right. All right. So here comes George and he comes in and he's talking about how he heard a noise. Uh, what kind of noise? And he insinuates a, blah kind of noise from the bathroom yeah i mean i'd like to we didn't see this scene but george having his ear to the women's bathroom is uh that's quite a you know funny visual so jerry says here he comes up with a term he says oh you think she was refunding yeah someone i don't someone asked in the um in the emails if refunding was a thing or if they were trying to make it a thing. I'm not sure. And then they tried to make it a thing and I don't think it's stuck. Oh, I know it didn't stick. <laughs> the question is, did they invent? <laughs> Although I will start, maybe we should start making it stick now. <laughs> right. Uh, so then we have this conversation taking place, which we reference where, you know, Elaine is asking about like, uh, is George concerned uh, about what's happening? And George is like, of course I'm concerned. I'm paying for those meals. I'm throwing money down the toilet. <laughs> Yeah, it really is such a smart answer for George. Yeah. Uh, do you feel like Elaine should be more sympathetic to what's going on here? I mean, that you could ask that in, about almost any character in every episode. Yeah. Should they be more sympathetic? In, you could argue that Elaine is too sympathetic in this episode because she should have been more forceful with Landis when she goes there. And, you know, she's sort of like letting her off the hook just because she's being so annoying and blabbing on about her injury when Elaine should have been like, okay, I just got to take the racket and leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will say that I feel like they almost completely ignore Elaine in this storyline in terms of, you know, getting Elaine's insight as to what she thinks about all this as a woman. In fact, you know, we're going to get to this conversation where George wishes that he could have a woman in the bathroom. If only he knew a woman that could be in the bathroom at the time that, Nina is going into the bathroom. Yeah, we're stepping on every single reader question now because I think that's Chester's uh, grand point. <laughs> I, mean, I think, and Elaine is there. Elaine is sitting yeah. right there, and she, we know she's been a come with gal before. Yeah. Like she's done this exact thing. I know. Maybe after we got to uh, the implant, maybe she's like, "No, you know what? I'm out on this. I'm not doing this anymore." Yeah, that's maybe. a good point. That's a good point. It did, it did blow up in her face. Uh, last time but i but she's she's had mixed you know a mixed bag of success i feel like this is pretty low uh you know hanging fruit like but what did george just has to pay for a dinner like why is she in the restaurant right and if it's the kind of thing where you know you always have where these women go to the restroom together 
is that the kind of thing if somebody is if if there is somebody uh that does have this kind of eating disorder will they try to lose the other woman and is that is that a signal you know if george is uh you know re- really needs to know this and and again we can't state it enough that for George, you know, he's not trying to say like, oh, we should see how I could help her. He just doesn't want to waste his money and take her out to <laughs> no. dinner anymore. Yeah. And he just wants to know it's it, part of it's just like a gossipy. I want to know the answer. I don't know if he's going to break up with her if she's bulimic. Like, why would that bother him if he doesn't if he's not concerned about people's well-being? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's yeah. staying attractive for her. Right. She's staying attractive for him. I think that he's just like, well, we're going to stay in from now on or we're not going to any place else expensive. Right. You know what? I, I, I had a note during this episode. I feel like George is starting to become Frank Costanza. Mm. Like, this is something that Frank would be really concerned with, like wasting the money by throwing up the meal. Like he would say like, oh, you owe me $20 because you didn't finish the steak. You threw it up. <laughs> All right. So George is wishing right now. Boy, I wish I knew a matron, one of those people that works in the bathroom, because then I could ask her if we saw Nina going in there and throwing up and Kramer's acting all weird and turns out that his mom Babs is a matron and he can't ask her because he hasn't talked to her in five years. Now, Akiva, how good is your memory for the last time we saw Babs? Well, we haven't seen her. We've just heard about her. We haven't seen her. We heard about her that she was like drunk and having sex with with some guy over the jacket, right? Yes, yes. And and the nose job we hear about her, but this is this is the first we're seeing of her. We will see her again in the finale. Okay. So basically they insist, you know, Kramer, you got to face her sometime. You need to, this is the perfect time to go talk to Babs. Yeah. And it's, you know, Kramer is, uh, why are you holding out at this point? Like Kramer's really going to have a, he's going to become a new man between now and the end of the series. New man. Oh, I didn't even mean that. Yeah. He's not, well, he's going to become a new man because that's going to be his mom's last name. (laughs) So we go see Elaine that she goes to check in with Landis and we see her in this huge like half her body arm cast that's due to some sort of this tennis injury. And uh, what does she have here? Do we know? Is this a real injury? Uh, I I think when we get to uh, I think our medical correspondents got a lot uh, to say about this, but I think short answer, not really. Okay, Uh, it's not some sort of like Tommy John surgery or something like that. I think they're trying to make it that but just giving a fake name to that sort of symptom. Okay. And so Landis says, you know, if I can't play tennis, my life is going to be over. I'm this is going to be what what reason would I have to live? Who knew like anybody liked tennis that much? I mean, it's I, Andre Agassi was like one of the 10 best players ever and he he wanted to kill himself because he had to play tennis every day. And he hated yeah. tennis. It was boring for him. So Elaine can't bring herself to say, "Can I get the racket back?" I mean, what is the big hold up here? Uh, it doesn't it's not it, there should be a little bit more pushback on on the Landis side, right? Because she should have just grabbed it here, and she's just so like bored, and and, and maybe she doesn't want to impose on this lady because she needs to ask for a job in a couple weeks, possibly. Mm-hmm. But there's not really a strong enough reason why she doesn't get the racket back in this scene. Okay, I'll, let's role play. I'll be Landis, you be Elaine. What should Elaine be saying when she's talking? Be like, oh my gosh, like how? First of all, we don't see her. We don't see Landis talk about the racket because that scene is deleted. Okay, but. She should have been like, but, you know, by the way, how was the racket? She should have changed the subject. Like, did you win? How's the racket? You make a joke. Say, like, if I'm if I'm Elaine, say, like, like, I hope you at least won if, you know, for the injury or something like that. Yeah. And then uh, and then she'd be like, oh, yeah, the Bruline was great. It was the best racket. Like, oh, let me see it. And then, like, start swinging with it. But then it's in your hand. Not say, like, hey, can I have it back? Just like, can I see, you know, can I see the racket and, like, pretend to be swinging, you know, the racket around in the office? I think that's how you play it. Yeah. Elaine should have had you with her. 
Yeah. Again, we could. Is that what your neighbor did to problems. get the book back? That was like, hey, Akiva, how was the book? <laughs> it's true. I, I, he he sort of. Uh, that was more of like an accosting. He's like, <laughs> he's probably staking me out. That was like more like a stakeout. He, he saw me like leave in my house, and he's like, oh my gosh, I got a pass. <laughs> uh, what book was it? Tropic of Cancer. <laughs> that was some. It was some. It was a Talmud, actually. <laughs> Talmud. <laughs> All right. So we see George and Kramer go into the women's restroom. Uh, because they want to meet up with Babs and they come in and Babs exclaims Cosmo and for the first time we hear the name of Kramer. Uh, yeah, so I remember and I should have searched for the commercial but I've had a hard time finding some of the, the like the preview commercials for Seinfeld. A few of them are on YouTube but I remember very well that they were promoting this really heavily NBC. Like tune in Thursday at 9 to find out what Kramer's real name is. You remember that guy who would do like the musty TV voice? Mm-hmm. I can't do it but like they had that guy and he'd be like and, you know, like 830, you know, Caroline is in the city <laughs> and at nine. <laughs> I do remember this. I do recall that they were. Kramer's really, so like they, it was heavily pushed. It was of any episode of the, of, you know, and I started watching live probably weekly in, in season five and pro- I had probably seen some live in season four uh, or three. But but this is the first time I remember like them heavily, heavily pushing a particular. And it's, it's sort of a minor point in the episode. But I guess, you know, you're thinking like, and I don't think it was one of these things where like on Lost, midway through the first season, everyone's like, what's Hurley's backstory, right? Mm-hmm. There's got to be something wrong because, you know, Hurley's the last main character or one of the last main characters. Remember, there's articles every day in the New York Post. Like, what's going on with Hurley? There's got to be something up with Hurley. Mm-hmm. I kind of miss Lost, by the way, that first season when like anything was possible. I didn't know you were a big Lost guy. Well, I, I the problem is I, I ended so poorly with this uh, show. Oh, it's like you had a bad breakup. Like I want my money right. back, you know? Yeah, it was a bad <laughs> breakup. But I, I love it. Season one, two, three was my favorite yeah, you show. you had a fling. I had a fling, but I'm, I'm over it. But I think um, the point is like they would, you know, it wasn't like this big mystery. Like, hmm, what's, what's Kramer's name? And there's like pools. What's Kramer's first name? I don't think. Right. It was something, and you know, they addressed this in the inside look, but I'm sure it was like a, a you know, thing people had mentioned, but it wasn't like this great mystery. I, it I was a mystery that nobody really cared that much about. Well, yeah, it was like, a, it was like, hey, you know that Kramer doesn't have a first yeah. name, but it's also the type of thing that a show won't answer mm-hmm. or will answer in the finale. So I guess I like the, you know, the idea that Seinfeld's willing to throw away these sacred cows in a, in just a random season six yeah. episode. Okay. So we go back to Elaine and Jerry back at their apartment and Elaine is updating Jerry about what's going on with Landis and how she's never going to play tennis again. And so here comes George. He comes up. I like that he, when he buzzes up, he says, uh, Heidi ho. Uh, yeah, he's got, a, he's got some good. Answers. And so, uh, Jerry doesn't know why she can't just go in there and take the racket back. It's a fair question. I feel like it's not like she's shy. And it's weird that he says that because this is a major company. Like it's rare to get, into an executive's office, especially when they're not there. But she still should be able to sort of work it out with the assistant or something. And again, this is another thing that if there were cell phones, she could text and be like, hey, can I come over at lunch and get it? And she'd probably get a yes back. But yeah. even, you know, even in the room, there's probably no way to contact Landis when she's out at a meeting or out at lunch or wherever she also, is. Also, we find out that Mr. Pitt has a big tennis match versus Ethel Kennedy, and he needs his racket for that. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't really pay off. Yeah. But, uh, they love throwing Kennedys in when they can. But- with Jerry and this whole idea that he keeps going back to, but how is it stealing if it's yours? Just to go back to you and your neighbor and the book, hypothetically, your neighbor is really burned up about the book. He wants the book back. He's stalking you. You and your family goes out for the day. 
Is it okay for your neighbor to break into your house to steal his book back? Okay, well, I think there's a big difference between an office and a house. Let's say, I, I mean, I, I don't even know how it would work, but let's say I had like a bookshelf on my front lawn, mm-hmm. you know. Let's say you had a garage then, that didn't lock or something like that. Yeah, a, a garage, that's better. A garage that didn't lock, and he, he could get in, and I know that he can get in. I feel like it's fine. But are you leaving it in there for him, or you borrowed it, and he's just going to go in and take it, and then you're like, hey, where did that book go? I was like, oh, yeah. I just came by and took it back. I feel like I'm not leaving for him, but he takes it. But then he just has to tell me that, oh, by the way, like I really needed the book back for whatever. So I had to come and take it. And like, I have no leg to stand on at that point because I should have given it back. Mm-hmm. Months ago. I feel like it's still a little bit of a um, not a good luck. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it also uh, like a $300 tennis racket. That's your boss's is different. Than yeah. But book. Landis doesn't know that it's her boss's. No, she has no she idea. Thinks it's Elaine's. OK, so we end up with George. He comes in and uh, he basically goes right into he got a, a juicy little nugget about Kramer. Yeah, they play this really well. This is like they could have done this a 100 different ways, but I actually like the choice. Yeah, that they made it's here. very fun and it feels very real the way that they have this sort of moment. And all of the characters really just make a meal out of this where George says that the name is Cosmo and then Elaine and Jerry on the couch are really just priceless in terms of like how they just are both losing it. It is a funny name. I feel like the name Cosmo still is mostly just associated with Kramer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's hard to like judge it in a vacuum of like how ridiculous it was then. Larry says that he picked the name because there was a wacky guy on the floor with him and the real Kenny Kramer who had that name. It's, and then when Kramer comes in, it's great. Cause I think they want the audience to think like, Oh, we're going to, you know, he's going to say like, what's going on. And we're going to make up a story. Like Jerry's going to say like, Oh, I told a great joke and they're all laughers. So they yeah. laugh, but they go right they for go the joke. Right for it. Elaine just bursts out Cosmo. Has any baby been named Cosmo since this moment? I, you know, I should have ch- checked, you know, there's like websites where you can check that sort of thing. I don't think that naming him Cosmo in 1995 meant that like in late 95 early 96 there was a lot more cosmos uh i'm gonna say it stayed flat Stayed flat so you feel like there still are baby cosmos being brought into the world i'm gonna say it's a very there's not like none i'm gonna say there's like 20 a year in the united states okay. most. Had, did neil degrasse tyson bring back the name cosmos uh, that show didn't <laughs> last a long time i don't think so and he didn't last a long time in my greatest living america <laughs> so i'm not sure how how much how much sway neil degrasse tyson was he out in the first round I feel like he went up against somebody really good. I feel like he would. I think I think he was he was out in the second round. He was I know he was in the Al Gore quadrant, which was a really weak <laughs> quadrant. So I, I think he he beat. Oh, he beat a, another scientist that no one had ever heard of that some listeners suggested. <laughs> and he got taken down by Bill Clinton yeah. in the second yeah, round. He, got, he uh, lost pretty good in the thrifty 32. Thrifty <laughs> 32 to Bill Clinton. <laughs> OK. So anyway, Kramer comes in and, and he's like, basically, it's like, OK, laugh it up, laugh it up. Uh, you know, you know, the cat's out of the bag. And he says, you know what? I'm going to embrace it. I'm Cosmo Kramer from now on. Cosmo Kramer. And I'm loving every minute. <laughs> I just mixed up two uh, catchphrases. But yeah, he's he's a new man. Yeah. All right. So uh, then we end up with Jerry going to visit Sandy at her apartment. But Sandy is in the shower and we first meet Laura sandy's roommate and jerry is uh invited in and laura explains that sandy is in the shower and jerry makes a joke of like oh i wish i would have brought my towel and she laughs uh jerry says it's a it's a great laugh there's no big haas in this and uh jerry is now smitten with the roommate i also like i always i always think of things like this but like they're casting laura and they're casting sandy 
And it's like, all right, Sandy has to be like whatever. You know, they're not asking for much heavy lifting from Sandy. So she could be, she doesn't need any like particular trait other than she has to be someone who Jerry would want, would want to leave. Mm-hmm. So it's like, we need Sandy. And like her main qualification is she's less attractive than Laura. <laughs> yeah. But they also do a lot, I think, with makeup and they're going to like, you know, oh, sure. I'm, I'm really sure talks, yeah. uh, make Laura look fantastic and, you know, make Sandy look so so. So, you know, a lot of it's going into the costume and wardrobe. I'm sure they're both doing yeah. great. Right. No, neither one of them we've ever heard from again, right? No, no, no. None of the, none of really the one-time guest stars uh, made it big. I think one of them is Rachel Bilson's mother. Oh. That's the best I got. No, stepmother, okay. excuse me. So we have another great season with Jerry and George of the Diner. It's almost like that Jerry and George of the Diner, I feel like we never have one that's even mediocre. I feel like that. No, I agree. We I agree. are just this is, Seinfeld at its highest level. Jerry and George in the diner talking about what just happened. I agree. Although I will say that the next sort of scene with them in the apartment is kind of even funnier, but yeah, the them in, it's like, Oh yeah, we're a little like this episode on, on the big laugh. So let's go for Jerry and George in the diner. Yeah. So yeah. it's really funny that they started to talk about how this problem <laughs> that they have. And again, it's almost like, I think they're trying to parody some sort of a movie. I don't know if there's an exact movie. I think it's just sort of like a movie trope where you have two people talking to each other in this way. And Jerry is bringing up this idea of the switch and George shuts him down. He says, look, if I heard you correctly and you're saying what I think you're saying, you need to never talk about this again. Yeah. And I do like how George can read Jerry's mind at all times about stuff like this. Like there's no way, like what Jerry's saying is like, it's not, he's not, you know, spelling it out for him, but George is so sort of maniacal that he can figure it out. But it, yeah, it's also like misery loves company and this isn't even something George could consider. So he, he can't let Jerry go down this yeah. rabbit hole. He tells him, if I hear you correctly, and I think that I do, my advice to you is to finish your meal, pay your check, leave here and never mention this to anyone again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, George you know, tells him, look, nobody in the history of Western civilization has ever accomplished the roommate switch. And he says that in the Middle Ages, you could get locked up for even suggesting it. And I like this little argument that I have about whether or not there were roommates in the Middle Ages. Yeah, such a smart joke. They had roommates in the Middle Ages. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, George says, I'm sure sometime in between 1800 and 1200, there were two women living together. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Jerry basically, you know, pounds the table and tells him, look, if you're scared, you know, then you don't have the stomach for this, then get out now. But I'm doing this with or without you. And finally, George says, okay, he's in. And then we get to uh, a long montage over this sort of like a uh, bank heist uh, I felt like this was kind of film noir. Is that where what you got at from this? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, the, the music in this episode also when Kramer's on the street with Babs and then Babs, especially when Babs meets Newman on the street towards the end of the episode, the music is very, I, I guess it's film noir, but it it is sort of like a, a, an unusual style choice for uh, yeah. this series. I don't know if they're parodying a specific movie. Maybe Johnny DeSavera can jump in next week and let us know what's going on here. But it's sort of like, okay, this is a caper that's going on. And you're right, that scene with Newman and Babs, that's also played very much sort of like a, you know, 40s movie. Oh, yeah, totally. It is down to what Newman's wearing. Everything about that scene is like old school. (laughs) Okay, so we end up back at Jerry's apartment after this montage. And really, they're sort of defeated. They've got nothing. And so (laughs) Jerry sort of resigned. He's stuck with the non-laugher. George leaves. 
And then the shot lingers on the door and he bursts back in uh, and yells that I got it. Yeah. And I do. Like, it's such a sitcom trope that you, you the camera stays on the door because, you know, the person's coming right back mm-hmm. in. But uh, but obviously this works. So here. we go to commercial and then we come back. And I like what they did here where now they're still in the apartment, but they're eating a pizza. And the setup is sort of like, OK, so go over it for me one more time. Like it's like, OK, they've been talking about this for like a good hour or so. They had time to get the pizza. And now they're just sort of going over the finalized plan. Yeah. And then it's just a good way to let the audience know, like in on what exactly okay. is happening. Akiva, can you take us yeah. through the plan as outlined by George and the anticipated reaction. And then let's also try as we go through this plan, talk about uh, mm-hmm. if they made any major miscalculations, because we will see that it does okay. not go according to plan. But was that just a statistical anomaly? It was sort of like, you know, a one shot in a million. There was a percentage that this would happen, but it would be very unlikely. So let's just talk this through. Well, first of all, yeah, they may have gotten their chips in with, with a pair of aces and then, had to split the pot in an unexpected right, way. Right. That's a great analogy for this. Um, so, okay. So, uh, Jerry, you know, their plan is Jerry says that he's going to tell Sandy that he wants to have a menage a trois. Mm-hmm. With her, yes. Which was the last time anybody used that expression. <laughs> of I know I've never used it. <laughs> never have I ever. Yeah. I would say, I would say, what about your dreams? But I know you just dream about Bernie Sanders and, and Ted Cruz yeah. in your dreams. Uh, sadly, we have an update this week, by the way. Any politicians? No, show up? no, uh, no. Uh, sadly, I, I don't think I've ever dreamed of uh, the scenario that's talked about in this episode, and no, you know, celebrity dreams or anything like that. I, I think I was just too tired to dream this week. Sadly. Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, so that he's going to tell her that, and it's going to have, as he terms, a two pronged effect. Number one, mentioning it will make her, you know basically horrify her to the point where she's going to kick him out of the apartment. Mm-hmm. And number two, she's going to go to her roommate and she's going to say, do you know what that perv, you know, suggests that we do? Right. And she is going to be sympathetic to it, the roommate. But she's also going to be like, hmm, you know, he just met me once and he, you know, he had me in mind like that. That's so that's so nice of him, which I don't think any woman in this of the world has ever had that thought. <laughs> but uh, right. I can understand it, the fellows writing this episode might think that it would be flattering. To is somebody. that the big miscalculation in this that the roommate is going to say, well, you know, I guess be a little flattered. Is the roommate just going to be pretty turned off about this? Yeah. I mean, you have no reason to believe the only thing that George knows about this roommate is that she's a laugher. I don't know if that makes her game for doing more outlandish things than the non-laugher. Mm-hmm. Uh, the non-laffer maybe is like uh, not a good sport, so it's probably safe to say she's not going to like it, even though history would prove that uh, assumption incorrect. We also don't know anything about the relationship between these two women. Like, are they lifelong? No, they could be best friends. They might have found each other on right. whatever Craigslist was back right. then. I think you got more of a shot with the Craigslist. <laughs> sure. Um, right. Yeah, they could be. They For could both be finding a roommate and the menage. Sure. Uh, um, okay. here. so a few days later after uh he you know the uh, his girlfriend is completely over him right uh, sandy's totally done with it and laura's sort of forgotten mm-hmm. about it you call up laura when sandy's not home and say like hey you know i know i'm broken up with sandy but that doesn't mean we can't go out so you, he invites her to dinner mm-hmm. and uh you know boom they're going out right and jerry says there's one problem yes that because they're roommates it's not like she's not going to know about it. you can't go out without behind your back forever yeah. So, uh, you know, basically she's gonna say like, nah, you creeped out my roommate. There's nothing I can do. I almost feel like that at this part of the plan, 
I think that it's a mistake where they say that like, hey, he's disgusting. I don't want anything to do with that pervert. If you want to date him, you can have him. I think that at the point where this was a woman who was sort of, you know, excited by the idea of being mentioned in the menage, I think that she's probably you know, getting excited about the idea of sneaking around behind the roommate's back. I think that that's more exciting for this person who is the person who's flattered about being included in the three-way. It's not a bad point, but she also has to be someone who's not concerned with destroying the relationship with the roommate. And we don't know if that's true. We don't know about the relationship. I I do think, like, if we're talking now about how we can improve it, to me, I think you just just go for the straight breakup. You do, like, uh, you know, you either flake a few times you appear disinterested on the date. If you give it a week or two, let her break up with you. And then once you're broken up and it was her, like you didn't break her heart, then I think it's easier to go after Laura. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I think that you're right. I think there might have been another way in on this, but it's probably a longer con where it just doesn't work out with Jerry and Sandy for whatever reason. You know, they just sort of, sort of whatever reason, like he's aware that every single week he has a new girlfriend. So this is going to come to its natural conclusion sooner rather than later. So if he had a little patience, I feel like he would be okay. I think maybe I would play it out a little bit longer, make more reasons to go to Sandy's house, figure out if Laura, I mean, he basically met Laura once for, I mean, maybe that one night, maybe they really, really hit it off. We only saw like 10 seconds of their interaction, but I think then maybe sort of find out if the feeling is reciprocal and then maybe start to move from that point. Right. I would say the counter argument to my point is that if they go out too long, if Jerry stretches things out to its natural conclusion, but that takes too long. Now the roommate cannot date Jerry because they've had he's had a relationship with with Sandy for too long. Like If they date for a month then it's maybe weirder than just the guy, you know, that he's dated a couple That's times. That's possible. That certainly is possible. But could Jerry get it into the friend zone a la the Elaine relationship? He could what bring his bring his own relationship into the friend zone. He definitely can. But yeah, that's harder to do and takes even takes more even time. more time. Like, for instance, if Elaine had a roommate, would it be so absurd if Jerry was to date Elaine's roommate? I know that Elaine did not like it when Kramer dated her roommate, but I don't think it was. Ew. That's so weird. You're dating Kramer. It was that Kramer was a horrible person to have living in her house. Right. I think Jerry would really be opposed to that yeah. idea. Okay. Obviously, Elaine would, but I don't think Jerry Probably would. Probably not. Okay. So our ideas are both uh, less funny, sexy, and interesting. So luckily... Yes. <laughs> I don't know why they didn't... <laughs> the writers... Yeah, with it, that day in the room, they wouldn't have gone with... with <laughs> both speaks to the fact uh, why we are both uh, married for a very long time and also not the writers of Seinfeld. Right. I think well, it's why we're podcasting about this show they made <laughs> <laughs> all right so they're very excited about the <laughs> about the plan and uh they're gonna move forward with it okay so uh george is uh he also eating peanut butter in a very funny way in this scene uh, jerry is bragging about the plan and george is just like uh, eating peanut butter off his fingers talking about like uh this is what i do i didn't even notice that yeah <laughs> It's very funny the way. I mean, they just finished a pizza. Uh, and now he's eating like a uh, peanut butter. God knows what time it is. But anyway, so Elaine has snuck into Landis's office and she gets busted by Landis's secretary or assistant or, you know, somebody that works in the office. Yeah, probably a personal assistant. Somebody's some assistant. Executive assistant. And says, you can't take the racket. Elaine tries to wrestle it away. She does not get away with the racket. 
Another, another, you know, uh, fella who who has no problem putting his hands on a lady here to get yeah. what he wants. <laughs> Happens a lot on Seinfeld. All right. So anyway, we see Kramer now. He's walking the street uh, with his mom. People are calling him Cosmo and everything is going good. Uh, yeah, it is, it's another like funny montage scene where he's just like the man of the neighborhood. Yeah, you also have a Larry David voice. Uh, what do you say, Cosmo? Yeah, he doesn't get a name that Larry David. Yeah. Could you believe Larry David was on Saturday Night Live again this week? Yeah, it is funny. I guess he's not doing anything like what we don't you know, he just did the play. Yeah. Um, it, it, maybe he's in his secret lair um, writing Curb, but I'm not so sure because I don't think he'd be in New York if he was really, you know, doing that, unless he's just sketching out a few ideas mm-hmm. that's just wishful thinking on my half by half so you know he's a little older he's got nothing to do they call him up why not hang out i feel like the the thing with snl is that lauren it's hard to turn down lauren probably when he calls yeah. like lauren makes that call directly and it's it, you know it's hard for anyone to say but no do to you him. think larry david in his hard hearts the first time he went on snl as bernie sanders which uh you know you talked about on this podcast that week for people who are going through it which that's probably going to be a funny moment for our friend that's you know seven or eight months behind where we are where you say hey did you notice this during the debate that larry david uh, has the same voice as bernie sanders and i'm like what i didn't really see oh, that's that. right uh it's like yeah that's what you know a lot of people were saying that on twitter uh and then that leads to the, the first time he goes up on snl do you think that there was any chance in his heart of hearts that he felt like bernie sanders would still be around here as of march 15th which is one of the super tuesdays that we're recording this podcast i i could see him being a a bernie supporter which i think would make him more likely to believe that he'd still be around because i feel like we're irrationally sort of devoted you know the lincoln chafee people probably still think he's got a chance you know (laughs) i think the i you know so if he's a bernie supporter which wouldn't shock me if he was based on like his wife what she was into i feel like that's right up her yeah. alley his ex-wife well, so maybe he- his ex-wife i believe what was her connection with al gore i don't remember but she had like very specific causes that were like environment i think is her number one yeah. cause so would that attach her more to the clintons considering that al gore was the vice president of the clintons no 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 because i feel like he what what gore stands for at this point i think is more bernie sanders territory interesting so It'd be interesting at some point, maybe uh, we can get Sean Falconer on this. Uh, what are the personal politics of Larry David and who is he supporting? Is he actually supporting Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton? I mean, he's probably given money to one, you know, to the one he supports. So I'm sure someone could figure that out. Because I would say he has done more for Bernie Sanders than any other national figure out of anybody. Not to get political. We're not getting political. We're talking about Larry David. Right. I, I feel like, um, yeah, it's true. I do think, you know how you said, like, we, I made that prediction mm-hmm. uh, before it happened. Yeah. But the person who's listening doesn't necessarily know that. Should we make other predictions that are, like, already happened, but the person won't realize the time frame? <laughs> and we'll just cut this out? Like, uh, you, you know who's definitely going to win the Super Bowl? Uh, which is next week, by the yeah, way, Rob. Super Bowl I'm coming pretty, up like, this weekend. Why, who, people who you think have? the Panthers are going to win, but I'm telling you right now. Yeah. Uh, the Broncos, no way. I, I sense no way. a Von Miller MVP. No uh, the Carolina is coming in hot. Uh, I don't think they just rolled over everybody in, in the playoffs. Uh, Peyton Manning is like playing on uh, his last leg. I know uh, Denver has a good defense and I'm sure there there is some scenario where the Denver defense is really dominant, but I'm going to take Carolina. I feel like they're going to hit Cam Newton in the face early to the point where he's not even going to try and recover a fumble late in the game. And now we're getting very specific. And and I'm I'm seeing something. I think it's Papa John. I feel like Peyton Manning is going to be kissing Papa John after the game. I also game. have a feeling, I, th- I could see the commercials really just being kind of like blah, like nobody cares. 
Well, people say that every year, but I feel like maybe they're extra blah this year. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know who's also, I, I, I think this Jeb Bush has no chance. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he's out of the race. Uh, people soon. are calling him the favorite, but I don't know. I, this Trump guy, I haven't yeah. heard of him before, but I feel also, like. Also, uh, later on in the show, uh, Keith and I are going to update our Oscar pool. Got a good feeling oh, on yes. Spotlight. That's could be a could. Be, I know a lot of people are saying uh, it doesn't have a shot. I'm feeling good. Yeah, I'm gonna also. Uh, I, I we'll save it for later, but I'm gonna predict Leonardo DiCaprio's entire acceptance speech. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, all of the you know, lot going on here. A third week in January, uh, 2015. All right, so <laughs> let's go back to the restaurant. No, what, what episode yeah. are we up to? So George and Nina are back in the restaurant, and they've eaten. Nina wants to get up. George says, hey, go ahead, because George thinks that Babs is waiting in the bathroom and then it's going to give him the full report. But at the same point, we see another woman get up who doesn't feel well. She also goes into the bathroom at that exact moment. This is all really all this, a lot of happy coincidences happening all at once. That the waitress comes by and George wants to know, oh, do you know Babs? And she tells him, no, Babs is gone. Babs left. She quit today. And so George is now frantic because how will he ever find out if his significant other has gone into the bathroom to refund. Yeah, and I've been looking at refunding, and I don't got much there other than Seinfeld. No, I don't think so. Did not take. <laughs> and so uh, we see George. He bursts into the bathroom, and he goes, aha! And I mean, it's such a horrible decision for like a thousand reasons, but like he wasn't checking to see if there was no other right. woman, woman in God there. God forbid. Like, even if she's in there throwing up. <laughs> Oh, you know, have a little human compassion. I mean, this is a person with an eating disorder, potentially, and you're bursting into the bathroom as they are vomiting. And uh, or worse, they're just using the bathroom and you're going in. Yeah, like like there could be other people using the bathroom. What is best case scenario for George in this scene? Like, is he ending the relationship by walking into the bathroom knowingly? I don't know. It makes no sense. Like, Let's say he's right. What's he? He's not getting her help. He's going to yell at her for wasting the food. George. She's not going to be like, you're right. I'm so sorry. Right. George George is so in over his head here with this woman that he's dating a model. (laughs) He's dating this, this beautiful woman who he has no business being with. And the fact that he suspects she's wasting his money in the restaurant, that he's going to barge in and potentially, you know, ruin the relationship over this. Now, if you just told like a random dude that like, hey, uh, you want to date this model? Like the only problem is she's really skinny. Uh, She eats a lot. Don't get me wrong. Like you won't feel bad when you got to eat. Like she'll eat more than you will. She might be throwing it up. But I don't know. I feel like you have to take the good with the bad here. You know, I even like a worst case scenario, like you say, George is in over his head, but George should have really just, uh, you know, been been happy with uh, with what he got because the grass is always greener on the other side. But I feel like uh, you're, he's never doing better than this lady. No, I don't think so. This is real. It's a funny moment on the show. It, it's a funny joke, but that, you know, George is not thinking this through here. No, which I mean, he rarely does, but you know, he's, he's better with other people's lives okay. than his own. So we find out that it's another woman that's in that bathroom stall. And George is then spotted by Nina, who wants to know, George, what are you doing in here? And he wants to know what she had for dessert. And uh, the woman leaves and he asks her, how are you feeling? <laughs> well, you know, George could have just said, shoot, I thought this was the men's bathroom and probably gotten away with the relationship still intact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but again, this is a comedy show. Not we're not just being logical. And maybe uh, could have played off that aha as a chew. 
I would have been like, aha, I knew it looked like the women's bathroom and I shouldn't have walked in here and just walked out. And Nina wouldn't have cared. She was just doing her hair in the corner. Like she wouldn't have been offended. She would have, they would have had a laugh about it. Um, Could he have walked in and said like, oh, you know, I just, I missed you so much. It's a little (laughs) creepy. Yeah. We're not, we're not suggesting listeners at home to, to try that one. They're on a date. Walk to the women's room and tell your lady. I I watched an episode of Vinyl and Bobby Carnival uh, follows a woman into the bathroom. She did not seem to mind it. I think that might just be a, uh, you know, how attractive are you to be able to pull off that move? It's true. Yeah. If you're Bobby Carnival, right. you could probably get If you're get Don Draper, you can pull off that move. Sure. Oh, yeah. No question. Women want you to follow <laughs> them into the bathroom. <laughs> Maybe, some might. Well, uh, first, some they don't might. even want us there when we're out of right. the bathroom. <laughs> uh, nobody, nobody wants uh, George Costanza, me or you in there. No. I, not even as a matron. <laughs> they don't even want us in the restaurant. No, no, for sure not. We're lucky we got to go. <laughs> anyway, we go back to Newman and Babs on the street. And I had skipped over where Babs is in the diner with Kramer. And there's a little bit of a funny moment where they're talking about going into business together. And Kramer asks his mom if she's clean and she like slaps him. But now here's Babs on the street and Newman walks by and she asks him like, uh, like, hey, what are you doing, Newman? And he's minding his own business, he says. But she says to him, uh, you'll never get into trouble that way. And we talk about, are you looking for trouble? And then postmen don't have far to go to get to trouble. And so they start sharing a cigarette and that's it for them. We'll see them at the end of the episode. I think um, I, like, yeah, they, they really are amping up, especially with the smoking. Cause we don't see, I don't think we see Newman smoke again. Uh, they really are amping up like the forties style of this mm-hmm. scene. <laughs> okay. So George is banging on Kramer's door. He's yelling for Kramer and uh, he's upset because Babs did not come through. Babs could have at least, you know, given Kramer a heads up to give to George about this. Yeah, I mean, I guess. But again, no cell phones. Maybe it was just like logistically Maybe. impossible. And should she have kept her job for one more day just to help out George? There's no reason why she had to quit that day. I mean, it was only because Kramer said. Right. But it's, it's like, hold on. I have this evil caper about someone's eating disorder that I need to get to the bottom of my son's idiot friend. Let me not quit the job. That's horrible. Just so. You know, I can uh, just so I can figure I out mean, if this is it that horrible of a job. I mean, it's not. I don't think it's a degrading. It's, but it's being like unethical. Like it's at your workplace. Someone's like, hey, you know, when this, figure out what this person's problem is and go and you know, sort of spy on them and figure it out. Isn't there also like a a, a girl code? Like what goes on in the bathroom? You can't be telling it to the yeah, guys. Yeah, you think that that's been some sort of violation, some sort of doctor patient confidentiality that goes on in there. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. All right. George comes in and he's complaining about Kramer and Jerry's being uh, a little bit snotty to him. He's like, oh, that's a shame. And so George wants to know, hey, what happened with Sandy? I forgot all about it. And Jerry explains that it actually went pretty well and she's into it. Yeah. And so for Jerry, this is like, shoot, you know, it, it uh, you know, it didn't work exactly as planned. And George, this is, you know, absolute the, the apex of what could have happened. Yes. Yes. She's into it. The menage, and not only that, she talked to the roommate, and the roommate's into the menage, too. So, knowing this, do you think, the, knowing that the roommate is, at least we know she's not totally repulsed by Jerry, mm-hmm. do you think that he could have pulled off the old regular switcheroo? So, you think that now, at this point, could he contact the roommate? Well, now it's probably too late. Yeah. Well, unless this is a perfect opportunity to pull off the switcheroo. Mm-hmm. We just had more uh, chemistry. Hypothetically, Akiva, is it possible, oh could he start to go through the process of the menage, but, and I'm not even talking about getting to the, the act. Bedroom. Okay. But just in the process of everybody's there, could he pay much more attention to Laura? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. 
Right. Yeah. I don't know what you do. What do you? I feel like that will that will, it, but that doesn't solve his problem because now Sandy despises him. Right. It's Sandy's not going to be like, oh, well, I guess she won this face off. Right. She's going to be. Furious. So what do you think you do? Like, you go out for do you go out for drinks or do you just have like open a bottle of wine at the apartment? What do you think happens? Oh, I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, but there would be some. Uh, we need. We need a. We need yeah, an we, expert uh, here, of course, yes. on this. Right um, I, we'll keep your anonymity. You will keep your anonymity. Uh, uh, you know, as, as far as you want. But I, I yeah, feel like I'm nervous be, to have a menage correspondent. <laughs> I feel like you. No, listen. Well, write in if it's not appropriate. We don't have to read it, but you can be anonymous. But I feel like, why would you want it? <laughs> yeah, it's like one of those dear penthouse forum. Uh, I never thought yeah. it would happen to me, but dot dot dot. Um, but that being said. Yeah, maybe there's some sort of window of opportunity there where Jerry, if he truly does not want to be an orgy guy, but does want to see Laura. But maybe who knows? Maybe that this is not a first for these two. It's probably true. You're probably correct. I mean, they're not bringing it up, but they're willing and, and they didn't. Ex- it didn't exactly take a lot of push on Jerry. We just part. don't know what the relationship uh, is like. They could have no, been. We need more information. Right, you know, all, you know, friends all through college and, and who knows? Sure. Who knows what's going on? You know, it's hammer time. Yeah. And it's not like they're young, like they're in their thirties. So I feel like it's not like they're sowing their wild oats necessarily. I feel like they, you know, they're, they're that type of person. They're orgy people (laughs) maybe. And so George, he can't believe it. He's blown away. And Jerry has a line. He says, Oh, it's a scene, man, (laughs) which is funny. Uh, And George is like, do you ever get down on your knees and thank God that you know me and have access to my dementia? And this is where Jerry starts to like, uh, what are you talking about? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going through with it. Yeah. Well, my, one of my favorite George lines this episode is he's like, this is discovering plutonium by accident. Yeah. And Jerry explains, I'm not an orgy guy. Do you know what it means to be an orgy guy? It changes everything. I have to dress different. I have to act different. I have to grow a mustache and get all kinds of robes and lotions. I need to do bedspread, new curtains thick carpeting weirdo lighting i have to get new friends i have to get orgy friends <laughs> yeah uh yeah he's right I, I do it's it's a different type of guy yeah it probably sounds better than it like than like it's it's the type of guys you see on like you would see like when we were kids on like weird hbo shows <laughs> at like 11 30 yeah. at night so anyway <laughs> that's where uh this scene ends so we come back so eventually we get to where you know george is talking about like if only something like this could happen to me and jerry tells him you know shut up you couldn't do it either and i know uh and uh you know, it is a funny idea that this is something that, you know, most people would dream about. And then the actual execution, I think, is probably, you know, rife with problems. Yeah, very Seinfeld-esque <laughs> almost. The, I, I do think, uh, I wonder if this was territory that was explored a lot on television oh, at I this point. I cannot imagine that that was the case. I don't think they're breaking uh, threesome ground here. Hmm. Well, you think Three's company might have... Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I don't know. I never saw it. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, it's possible. There was some weird stuff going on in the Brady Bunch, but I feel like that was off, off screen. screen. Uh, I wonder if uh, maybe Kramer might have been a resource in this area. Yeah, that's a good point. He definitely. Again, was. I don't know why they don't contact him potentially about this. Yeah, if I was if I was Jerry, I'm asking George these, not asking George's <laughs> questions. I'm asking, yeah. like, hey man. All right. So Elaine comes in and uh, she didn't get the racket, and Mr. Pitt has the big tennis match. So Kramer has the keys to Newman's apartment. And so they're going to go into Newman's apartment and they're going to try to steal Newman's racket and borrow it. And so they're all heading over there. George is annoyed because Babs hung him out to dry and uh, they don't know where she is. They think Newman's on vacation 
and they open up Newman's apartment and there's Newman in uh, his horrible apartment with Babs. I do like how bad they make Newman's apartment. <laughs> yeah. Have we seen Newman's apartment before? Yeah, we must have. Yeah, I think yeah. we have. But it's it's like uh, it's like a studio. It's like a big studio mm-hmm. almost. Yeah. With like it's very cluttered and there's a lot of stolen mail there. <laughs> not not so cool by Newman here. <laughs> Not so cool for. And also, I like how he told Kramer he was out of town. Mm-hmm. Like, what was his plan? He's just like staying home with Babs for the next yeah, two weeks. He was gonna like uh, hide out up there. He's the mailman. Like, he's got to he's got to find someone to do his shifts, and and it's very you know it's complicated. <laughs> right. Okay. So all in all, though, lots of moving parts here in this episode. But I feel like that. Uh, I feel like that the plot is like pretty closed up. We have beginning, middle, and end on pretty much all of these stories uh, that are going on here. So. I do really like what they've done with a lot of this stuff here in this episode. Yeah, not a perfect episode, but you're right. There's, you know, we're going to, we're going to, we could rank the stories now. And I feel like the, the D sort of the D plot line here has more meat than like the B plot lines in a lot of other episodes. So Akiva, why don't we just start off this sort of wrap up of this episode and at least talk about uh, something that we probably did not discuss enough here in this episode of could they do a storyline like this in 2016 revolving around George's girlfriend potentially being bulimic? It's a good question. They, I, I think they could. It would just have to be handled maybe a little differently. Mm-hmm. I don't know if George could be so hostile to the mm-hmm. idea. Yeah. But uh, I, I think it's not. This isn't like some uh, ground that you cannot tread on. I don't think that's the case. <laughs> I think it's getting close. I think that this is probably something that had it been handled on any other show, even at the time, I think it would have been part of a very special episode. Like you certainly could imagine a show like it's always sunny or broad city or something like that, you know, tackling this sort of subject. But it almost seems that on a primetime sitcom, I feel like that this might be too taboo to get into at this point. It may not be like your expression. The juice may not be worth the squeeze mm-hmm. here. Like, it, like it'd have to really because this isn't even like the, you know, the money uh, shots of this episode. But I'm not sure. It's a good question. I don't know. I don't really know where we're holding in terms of like uh, eating disorders and like. But it's a good question. Right. I think that the move is not to sort of like uh, get on their case about you know, hey, do you realize how expensive the food is that you're wasting? I think that probably you know George is going to come off as much more unlikable in this episode based on those actions than he was here in 1995. Yeah, I think I think what you're saying is yeah, we cut them good. slack because it was a different time and a place. We're just talking about how society has evolved in these 21 years since this episode. Yes. Okay? We're all smarter now. I mean, not all of us, but <laughs> most some of us, we learn things. We're growing. Okay. I mean, I was probably, I mean, I was 11. I was probably smarter when I was 11 than now. <laughs> I, I doubt it. I doubt it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, okay, let's grade out the stories. Also, anything else that would have been different from 2015 to, it would have been easier to contact Landis for sure. She could have solved that very fast with a cell phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's it called? I feel like, uh, yeah, I mean, I like, again, like the grabbing Nina, I feel like also wouldn't have been cool, but what's different now? Do they still have matrons in restaurant bathrooms? I think so. They do. I feel like it has to be like really, I've seen them in casinos when I've been in casinos recently, they have the, what's the, what's the male matron? Is it just the patron? <laughs> no, that's, those are uh, much more awesome people than uh matron. They're not people who just stay in the, the public. Yeah, bathroom. I don't know what it's called. Yeah. I, I just, I've always heard the term bathroom attendant. Yeah. Bathroom attendant. Okay, fine. So 
Yeah, I, th- I think uh, for the most part, right. it holds up. I don't know how Ethel Kennedy's doing nowadays. I also think that Jerry, with uh, trying to date Laura, I think that he would just go on Facebook and message her or whatever social media he wants to and sort of maybe he could strike up a conversation that way. Sure. Oh, yeah. You like uh, the Big Bang Theory? So do I. <laughs> That's not how you strike up a conversation with Akiva. No, no, no not no. with Keeve. The hey, you, you never watched Big Bang Theory, right? No, I'm sure it's yeah. great. I hear my wife laughing when it's on. She like. Oh, do you up. not like it because your wife likes it? No, no, I she, I never liked it. And then she started liking it. She also loves the uh, middle. Mm. I hear her cracking up hysterically when she watches <laughs> the middle. I don't even know what yeah. it's about. All right, so uh, let's give out our letter grades for everybody in this episode. I guess let's start with Elaine, 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 and the tennis racket. Yeah, again, this is definitely the D storyline. Um, I don't, we, you know, I haven't loved the Mr. Pitt stuff, but I feel like, you know, really uh, no Mr. Pitt stuff. It's just about him. Um, there's no gold with the lady, but it, what, what this storyline does is just it brings it brings other storylines uh, there. So it's, you know, I'll give it a B minus, but it's fine. Yeah. I would probably give it more of a C. I mean, I do feel like that the racket does lead to needing to go to Newman's apartment at the end of the episode, but I don't think that there's really any laughs to be had about Elaine's drama with Landis and trying to get the racket back. Yeah, you're probably right. They probably thought that the wrestling in the office scene was funny, but uh, it was interesting, but it's, it's, you know, ground that's been, you know, we've gone over okay. it before. Uh, Kramer doesn't really have much of a story in this episode either, other than he goes and rounds up his mom. Yeah, he rounds up his mom. Again, it was such a big deal. Like, if we were grading this, if we did this, like, literally as a post-show recap the night mm-hmm. of the episode, yeah. we would uh, give it an A++ uh, yeah. plus just because it was such a big deal that we heard his name. But You sold us, me. You sold me. A, a plus for Kramer for the... Well, I said A++, plus plus, <laughs> which I don't know is a thing. Yeah, for the revelation of Cosmo. Like, if my kid comes home with, like, 105, I'm, like, less proud than 100 mm-hmm. because it's like, oh, now this teacher's just giving out stuff like candy. Yeah. Like, some other kid probably got a 130. <laughs> All right, uh, Jerry and the switch. Uh, yeah, this is an A plus. Also, this is such a classic storyline. Everyone remembers this storyline. Yeah. Uh, the scenes with George, which you give Jerry half credit for, are just so great. Um, again, it's another. It's a you know some of it is told off screen. Uh, you know the climactic scene, but again, sometimes telling is better than showing. I give it an yeah, A plus. I do too. It's a great, great episode. And then George and his storyline that he is both a part of Jerry's story. And then also has everything going on with the model. Yeah. I, and the, his story with Nina is great. Him busting into the bathroom and, and everything around it is good. And also subtly, it's even better now, like uh, watching it again with just like the, you know, sort of the mania of like, because you're not thinking like, like why he's doing this. But in hindsight, it's it's even crazier that he cares. Yeah. Um, and, and then he's sort of like the key player in convincing Jerry. And they work so well together in the scene. So, yeah, definitely a plus. Okay, so all the way around. We have a lot of high praise at the top, some sort of middling uh, grades for the Elaine stuff. Akiva, where does this land in your episode listing for you? Yeah, I guess the Elaine stuff hurts it a little. There aren't a lot of Hall of Fame jokes. But again, like you, I was really smiling ear to ear watching the whole episode. So to me, this is a top 25 episode. I have it at number 25. Number 25. Okay. I can't argue with that. Can't quibble. Yeah, second straight top 25 episode. We're, we're on a roll. Yeah, we are on a roll. Of course, uh, we also are on a roll every week at the end of the show to when we get into your email, Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. Uh, Got some good emails about this episode and we read them every week. Uh, Akiva, for next week, what are we talking about if people want to get their emails in early? Uh, next week, we're talking about the label, label maker. maker, the label baby junior. Tim Watley is back. Yes. 
uh yeah we got tim watley we got the drake's the super bowl tickets with the drake's wedding i mean you know i'm probably gonna rant for a half hour on on i would never go to a wedding instead of the super bowl <laughs> even if it was my sisters um uh but yeah plenty of stuff going on we got we got a velvet couch we got we got plenty uh to do with the label maker okay. next week let's go to our emails let's start with johnny de silvera who says the original name of the switch was supposed to be the bulimic but was changed shortly before pre-production table read i think that's a bold choice and a good one good job there yeah the bulimic that wouldn't have held up well <laughs> <laughs> that's the one of like that like during shooting they named it that but i feel like it was never okay. going to happen johnny disavera also wants to know upon discovery of babs and newman together at the end of the episode how are kramer and newman still friends that's a great question yeah i mean listen are you friends with your dad uh <laughs> different story i think different story i, I like you know it's like your i dad hear you. didn't it's, know um, you when he started dating your mom <laughs> right so it's like a stepdad yeah, situation your stepdad i mean he could become a stepdad if this relationship I mean, it's goes on. possible that this relationship between newman and babs was not consummated they were just sort of like fooling around i mean they said hold my mail for two weeks I feel like, unless this is the first hour, I feel like it's happened already. <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. Look, Kramer's dealt with a lot of weird stuff before. It's, it's one thing. If this was his mom and this was like his idol, it would, it would be one thing. But this is a lady who he hasn't spoke to for five years, and he'll probably just not speak to for it. Like, he may hold this against Babs more than, Kramer, than Newman, who he knows is just a monster to begin yeah. with. All right, let's check in with Harry, the fake movie correspondent, who says there's a movie mentioned in this episode, but it's real and not spectacular. It can be assumed that the Frankenstein mention is the Mary Shelley Frankenstein, as you mentioned earlier, Akiva, released in November 1994. The timing fits, and De Niro was not a monster in a blazer. De Niro was Frankenstein? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I've never seen any Frankenstein movie. Or, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's really odd they make up a fake tennis racket company that's using this episode. Looking at Mr. Pitt's brew line, it looks like they took a Prince racket and changed the P to a B. Uh, it's hard to believe that it was product placement issue because the pro shop had Wilson tennis rackets, uh, not all over the place. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's weird because sometimes they'll use the real company and sometimes they won't. And I'm not sure why, you know, they do sometimes and, and not. Other uh, let me add in another email about the tennis racket. And this is from one of our listeners, uh, Jessica, who wanted to add in how she thought it was a curious discrepancy in relation to the racket's gender specificity that's never addressed. Uh, Elaine doesn't know what the hell she's doing, so it's entirely possible that she just blindly assumed that all the rackets are unisex, but Doubleday seems much more knowledgeable and would definitely notice and point out if Elaine was indeed playing with a men's racket. Therefore, are we forced to conclude that Mr. Pat does, in fact, play with a women's tennis racket? To me, that's significantly weirder than eating a Snickers with a knife and a fork. Yeah, that's a good guy. See, I didn't even, I'm a big tennis guy, and I didn't even remember that, um, you know, there are different rackets for genders, but I, it would be more unlikely, I guess, for a man to wear to use a woman's racket back then. But it would have been possible for her just to not know where to be using a man's racket. I, it's a good catch by her, but I'm not I'm not so sure that. Well, Doubleday likes to talk about tennis, but I, I don't know. I don't know if she really knows. If she doesn't that. know what's up. OK, Lindsay writes in to say. Every time I see the beginning of this episode, I assume Jerry's tennis stand-up, that's the intro to the lip reader. For me, that's the more memorable tennis-related episode of the two. Agree? Well, what about Milos? Yeah, to me, the comeback is probably the most famous tennis-related yeah. If you're going to rank the tennis episodes of Seinfeld, uh, is this uh, a distant third? Well, it's not a distant third. This was just the tennis part of it is a distant mm, third. Yeah. 
I mean, this is a top 25 episode. In terms of relating to tennis. Sure. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is definitely third. Uh, Tennis-wise, Monica Sells has to be one. Milos has to be two. And this is three. But the comeback is a great episode. This is a great episode. Uh, the Sells episode is not great. So, uh, you know, it depends on what you're ranking. Okay. Right? Lindsay also wants to know, have you had any memorable encounters with people who don't laugh? It's mm, a good question. Have you? I think uh, all of the audience members at any time that I ever did stand up comedy uh, are notable. <laughs> they were non-laughffers? <laughs> Lots. Well, they, they might have been laughers, but uh, at the time that me telling them jokes did not cause uh, them to be laughing. Did the kid who yelled at Butt Pirate, did he get them to laugh? Yes. I think they probably got more of a reaction than... Okay, you know. so then maybe they were laughers. Just <laughs> right. They probably were laughers. Um, so Can you stack your audience as a comedian with you laughers? You stack your... I mean, if you know enough people, I don't. Yeah, you'd have to have a lot of yeah. friends. <laughs> uh, I feel like my wife, not a big laugher. She's a big laugher at me, not necessarily at my joke. Right, I also, I, I can, I, I don't, my wife definitely doesn't think I'm mm-hmm. funny. Definitely would not laugh. It would be like extremely say. tough for me, like, if you told me, like, okay, tell a joke that will make my mm-hmm. wife laugh, I think it would be very hard to do. Yeah, the only thing, I mean, if you said, like, I spend a lot of time around the house. Yeah, it would be like, you, uh, would uh, like a sarcastic laugh, like, ha, ha, <laughs> like that. I could get an eye roll. If you if the goal was to get an eye roll, I would be, no problem. Would be uh, the Yeah, no problem. Side. Don't know if I had a joke that could make her laugh in any way. Sometimes I tell a joke that I think is hilarious and she gets really mad. Why does she get mad? Because it's usually like something like, oh, like you went too far or something like that. It's, it's yeah, not good. Oh, okay. Um, Dr. Thomas wants to know, in this week's episode, Mrs. Landis suffers a serious arm injury when she's playing tennis. Uh, she says this occurred when she tore her humeral epicondylitis. Uh, which makes no sense. The epicondylitis is an inflammatory condition of the epicondyle, a part of the arm bone. Therefore, you cannot tear the epicondylitis. So there may be are two possibilities. She may have fractured that bone or she may have lateral epicondylitis, uh, which is now commonly called tennis elbow. This, however, is classically more of a longstanding overuse injury, not something that happens suddenly. Um, yeah, it- I wonder why they would come up with real names, but then make up a fake disease. I guess maybe was, they just couldn't Google it then, and they were guessing. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Kiva, what does Amir have to say? Amir. Oh, by the way, Amir said, this is from a couple weeks ago, but Amir told me uh, we were trying to solve a mystery, remember, with the uh, why Elaine, with the, uh, with the Snoopy parade, why, what Elaine had in her mm-hmm. hand that got knocked into the, like, why is she walking into Watley's party? Uh, holding a trophy yes and so he solved he he figured out now i'm 99 sure he's correct that the trophy was an additional prize other than just holding the woody woodpecker float that it was like it was the shape of a radio uh antenna and it was it was a prize from the radio station for winning the contest okay. uh so anyway amir says he has a hard time believing that mrs landis would be so enamored by the chance to play with such a fancy and expensive brewline racket she's she's a successful executive at Doubleday, and tennis is her self-proclaimed reason to live a woman so wealthy and so in love with tennis, couldn't she afford to play, to pay $300 for a great racket? I think that's a good point. Yeah, no reason why she couldn't pay for the new racket unless, of course, she knows that the publishing industry is going down the tubes and she just doesn't want to waste her money. That's true. Yeah, that's true. and also that's a big investment. Uh, yeah, she, you know, maybe she's not going to like it. Maybe that there's some tennis shop that might let her try it out before like go for a test drive. Right, maybe she has another great racket, but she just wants to try out the Brulina yeah, racket. That didn't bum me out too much. Okay. Why? I mean, no, Amir is bummed out. Trust me, he can't. He's skipped work today <laughs> trying to figure that. Out. Why did George devise such a convoluted plan that needed a matron, especially one that relied on Kramer reuniting with his mom after five years? 
Couldn't he just use any woman to follow Nina into the bathroom? Elena's participated in these kinds of schemes before, flipping his boss of Mickey, enticing Dalrymple. Uh, yeah, it's a good point. Uh, yeah, Elaine would have probably been willing participant here, but she had other things to do this yeah. episode. Uh, other than what we mentioned where she's like, oh, no, I'm not getting involved in another one of your cockamamie plans. Leave me out of this. You do what you need to do. Maybe that conversation happened sometime in between one of these episodes. Yeah. So we'll track it. We'll see if she does another. She goes in on another crazy plan in the next three seasons. <laughs> do you think anything ever funny happens to the Seinfeld crew at the times that we are not seeing the episodes hypothetically you know maybe there's what a week two weeks in between the episodes does anything notable ever happen to these characters when we are not seeing the episodes that's a great question for for jim (laughs) (laughs) i feel like i feel like that would be he would hang up so fast if we asked that question jerry Um, in your mind did you and Larry feel like that these were the only interesting things that were happening to these people and that's why there were episodes? Or did you feel like that during the context of the time period of the show that there were many other things that were going on with these characters that also could have been episodes in that time frame? And would you be okay with a novelization of some of these things? And would that be canon? Was it, was it just a coincidence that there were 22 or 24 episodes uh you know that followed this similar story arc every single season when that was just the exact amount of material that you know of things that happened mm-hmm. to them it's a little bit uh lauren michaels has a famous saying which is that saturday live doesn't go on the air because we're ready it goes on the air because it's 11 30 mm-hmm. it's a little bit like that <laughs> like we, we just you know this is what we had and we put it we put it at we put it there on the air i do think they do a lot of work when we're not watching yeah that's like because we don't see them to get a lot of work done like all they're sleeping we don't see right any, you know, other than today, we generally don't see them in the bathroom, you know, like they, they get a lot. They get a lot of done. Well, they're most they're shopping. Right. So Meeting new like women. It's mostly boring right. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Chester writes in this. By the way, Rob. Yes. I met uh, all of Chester's family. Oh, how was that? Uh, much like uh, I found that his first name, you know, much like. Oh, no, it's Alexander. Um, but uh, so I met his wife, mm-hmm. Dr. Chester. Yes. Uh, but uh, but I met his dad and I'm, I'll, I'll give you a, um, a multiple choice. OK. Was that when I met his dad was the first thing he said to me, A, oh, it's so nice to meet you. Mm-hmm. Um, was it B? I love your podcast. I assume he'd mean Seinfeld, not their YouTube fans. Mm-hmm. That's what he said. Was it C? Thanks for being my son's only friend and having good influence on him. Or was it D? I don't like you, Akiva. Boy, I would have to say that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I, I will say D, I don't like you, Akiva. Yeah, he said, I don't like you. He, and then he was mad because I made fun of uh, the Vikings and he, he was like annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> he said, watch when I watch this year, when Teddy Bridgewater leads in the Super Bowl, he'll be laughing at me. <laughs> and I thought like he was joking, but I'm pretty sure he was serious. So listen, you could make real enemies in the podcasting game, Rob. I guess so. All right. You better watch out. Chester <laughs> writes in and says, I question the entire premise of the switch. It's not nearly as difficult as they imply. I know many people who pulled it off in college all the time, myself semi-included. What Wait, kind so of when I saw brag that, is this from Chester? When I saw that, <laughs> I, like, I, it just caught my eye, myself semi-included, and I thought he was talking about uh, the, the second suggestion and not the first suggestion. You know what I mean? <laughs> I didn't think he was talking about the Switch. I thought he was talking about the, you know, the Minaj. Oh. And I had like I had like a ten thousand word email ready to go. I'm like I, I want I want you know a lot of details here. What's going on? Oh, but, well, let me ask you a question. This is a good, yeah. interesting poll question. Maybe we should, this should be a Twitter poll uh, that I would never put out there. Uh, what do you think is the more <laughs> difficult thing to pull off? Do you think the the more difficult thing to pull off is the switch or the menage? 
I think in the history of the world, the switches happened far less. Far less. Okay. That's like uh, cycles versus no hitters. Yes. It, uh, well, cycles and no hitters, I think, are almost even. I think that that's a misnomer. They're almost exactly even cycles. And is, no that, is, that, is that right? Yeah. They're very. At one point, like five years ago, they were dead even. I don't know if one is pulled ahead of the other. <laughs> it's more like uh, unassisted triple play is a no hitter or something. Okay. So, uh, although there was once uh, two days in a row in 1927 with unassisted triple plays, there's only been like nine or 10 ever. Um, I, yeah, I, in certain, you know, in the, in the world I'm from where there's uh, sort of arranged dating for some people. Right. You can, that's much easier. Like you can go out with someone and if it doesn't work, it's like encouraged to like go out with their roommate. That wouldn't be weird. Okay. Unless you dated them for like six months. All right. Uh, Chester says, it's not like you're trying to dump one sister for another. Now that's a challenge, but even I've heard of that. Um, what is he talking about? Dumping one sister and dating the other sister. No, that's impossible. That's impossible. <laughs> not for Chester. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater could do it. Wait, you wait, just you watch Akiva. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. Also, uh, Chester adds in Jerry is down a thousands of dollars by this point in the series, but turning down the menage for those two, uh, has gotten to be the biggest mistake in the series thus far. Right. Okay. This is, uh, getting a, a little, a little bit. Uh, could you put a price on this? You mean like the, the the value of like the the monetary value of <laughs> From this? what Chester know. is saying? I remember a Mastercard commercial where they said it was priceless. <laughs> he feels like this is the biggest mistake that Jerry is making by not pursuing this. I mean, couldn't he say like a one-time only thing? I don't know why he had to be like, I don't want to become that kind of guy. Uh, he, and I feel like that's also a high-class problem to become that kind of guy. Like, <laughs> too many women are beating down your door. Yeah, I'd have to get new friends. Well, you know, the friends you have are not that great. <laughs> not great, not great. Like, you have your, 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 one, your best friend's best friend is Newman. I feel like you could do better than that. Yeah, and finally, Chester wants to know, where does Newman rank as the worst person in the series after what he does with his best friend's mother? You know, it's a good question, but I feel like... Not for anything. Newman, who broke up with a woman Jerry was seeing uh, recently over that she wasn't attractive enough for him. Yes. Yeah, it's like Newman is sort of like he'll take what he can get, you know, other than that one woman who clearly, as we established then, I think something something wrong, something that had to be there that we missed. That was something very wrong with her because there's no way he would have just broken up with her for no reason. Right. All right. Akiva, fun show today. We talked about a lot of adult subject matter hope everybody can handle it uh yeah should we, do you need to put a, a disclaimer at the beginning <laughs> i don't know i think that people that are listening to i mean we're, we talked about things that were in the episode i mean we were no well, we didn't do anything wrong right. here i mean i you know maybe we made we did something wrong like a hundred episodes ago when we tried to do this <laughs> like the, i don't i don't listen if we ever do curb after this we're gonna have to put some serious disclaimers up right you know that's on hbo if people think this is blue then forget about it. right we didn't come on the air today and have a production meeting of like hey kiva what do you want to talk about like uh, i don't know you how about just stop we did not come on the air and have a production meeting. right that would not uh what do you think let's you want to get into eating disorders and threesomes okay sure let's see i think we could do <laughs> an hour and 30 minutes on that no problem standing on our yeah. heads yeah. yeah you know we talk about what's in the episode you know the 21 years we're ago not, we're not disavowing the content right here. We're just, <laughs> 21 years ago a bunch of funny people put this down on paper and then they shot this and now here we are talking about what they did. If it was cool in 1995 for grown-ups, it's cool in 2016 for kids. So you could let your <laughs> kids grow up a lot faster these days. Okay. Hopefully my family doesn't listen to this podcast. But I, I feel like they, it's, you know, it would be nice if they did. I feel like that, that would at least be worth it. Well, I don't think hopefully your sister doesn't after you said that you would skip her wedding to go to the Super Bowl. Oh, she knows that. I'm not even sure. It depends. I have three sisters. Only one of them I would for sure be invited to the wedding. <laughs> one probably not, and the other one's 50-50. Okay. So, 
Finally, Akiva, what's the hashtag? I, first of all, I really like that poll. I can't believe you're not going to put it up. That would be that would be a classic. <laughs> <laughs> Which would be harder to pull off the switch or the menage? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, from what I understand, you know, I think that uh, the, the the menages are happening out there. You know, I don't. Right. I don't often... think the switches are happening. That's my point. I don't think the switches. I think that's like an urban legend. I don't know if it's really possible. Right. Um, I mean, I think that probably they they're it's like one person is probably having most of them like uh you know a, sure yes there's yeah. you know probably like 90 right. are we counting it because because that could happen a million times but like in theory a switch in one relationship can only happen once mm-hmm. so if we're if we're counting like yeah if each person gets you know because there could be one guy out there who's like the tiger woods literally it could be tiger woods is the tiger woods of that yes yeah millions of times <laughs> tiger woods is the tiger woods of menages yes okay <laughs> uh, they can that be the hashtag the tiger woods of menaces <laughs> uh, let, let's maybe hashtag tiger woods maybe this is okay. uh, no one else is talking about him he's he's sitting in his house playing on his dumb golf machine never coming back let's bring him back let's uh, let's hopefully he can uh, you know get back on the schneid hopefully i think what happened to him was the same exact injury that happened to landis that's right that's <laughs> right and i mean what happened we don't know if landis ever becomes like you know, superstar tennis player again, but uh, we don't know. We don't know. Okay. Tiger Woods. How did he fare in the uh, greatest living American? I think, I think he got knocked out in the first round. I, you know, five years ago, like ESPN did a poll. Who's now, mm-hmm. uh, which was basically like the greatest living American, but for athlete. Mm-hmm. And he ran away. Like he was the lock winner and he won it. No, I, but, th- uh, I feel like yeah. I, where I was still listening, I think that I heard uh, it was, was it him versus Shaq? No, he no. Shaq didn't make okay. it. He beat um, Michael Phelps. Yeah, but then he got knocked out by Jay Z uh, oh, yeah. in a route in round in, two. in thrifty thirty two. The thrifty thirty two. <laughs> yeah, Antonio Mazzaro. I, I forget what it is. He had a he had a different name that was a good name. Also, it was better than the thrifty thirty two. <laughs> no, nothing's better than the thrifty thirty two. All right, <laughs> that's what uh, Chester wanted to call the round of thirty two in their uh, greatest living American tournament, which you could hear on Akiva's uh, thirty two fans in thirty two days podcast. Uh, fun listen, fun listen. Thank you, thank you. Yes, you can make the switch from this podcast to that one a lot more easy than Jerry was able to make the switch from Sandy to Laura. I'd rather you just listen to this one twice and not listen to that one at all. But yeah, you could do one-on-one, that's fine. Fair enough. All right, so uh, Akiva, great job. Next week, Label Baby Jr., uh, the label maker. We're ready to talk about that next week. Also, thanks to Mike Moore, who uh, gives uh, very outstanding recaps, which go up on postshowrecaps.com. And of course, the unsung hero of the Seinfeld Recap Podcast is Scott St. Pierre, who edits out all of the major mistakes that Akiva and I make. Yes. Yes. And uh, only leaves in the best of the stuff that we do. So that, uh, you know, just like uh, what kind of shit. You can only imagine. Right. (laughs) This was (laughs) the good stuff. stuff. He's leaving it. (laughs) You can only imagine the stuff that gets taken out. Okay. Akiva, anything else? Uh, no, I'm, I'm ex- oh yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, for episode 100, which is coming up really soon, uh, I guess maybe next week we'll give like the number and, you know, instructions for what to call in. Right. Postshowrecaps.com slash voicemail, or you can send, if you have a lengthy email that you want to start penning right now and start tapping that out, you can email us every week, Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. Okay. Yeah. If someone has like an idea for a list for me that like maybe I need time to come up with or something for, you know, you send it in there. All right. Sounds good. Have a good one, everybody. Take care. Bye.